you are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. Just looking at a series in the book of Acts called Jesus Building His Church. And so, um, so much to share uh, with you today. And uh, we just can't wait to see how God uses it uh, and how He uses it in each and every one of our lives this morning. Uh, And so, we uh, are going to be looking at Acts chapter 4 today. So, if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Acts chapter 4. We're going to be looking in verses 23. Uh, through 21, as we see what the church in the book of Acts, how they continued to build the church that Jesus had talked about, um, and how they were able uh, to continue to move forward despite incredible opposition uh, that had taken place. And so um, we're going to be looking at that, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 21. If you've been with us, we spoke about the, what had happened in Acts chapter 3, uh, where a man who was crippled um, is then healed as Peter and John are walking along. He, he's asking for money. He's crippled, and, and Peter speaks to him and says, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And so the man walks. There's a lot of people just amazed uh, by that. Um, and so there, there's celebration. There's people praising God. And so uh, we then see the religious leaders, those that were in the establishment of over the people of Israel during that time, um, are th- these are the, some of the same people who were responsible in, in putting Jesus on a cross, uh, having him to die on the cross. Um, and then they're now hearing rumors that this Jesus has resurrected. And so now disciples are talking about Jesus. And so they're trying to put a stop to it. And uh, they... Uh, do the best they can. They uh, put them on a, basically in their courtroom. Uh, they'd speak to them and they can't deny what had happened with this man. And so they're trying to put an end to it. They threaten Peter and John uh, what had happened, what had taken place. They tell them, don't speak in this name anymore. Um, but what they couldn't deny was all the people praising God. And there's just mass confusion amongst the leadership. So all they could do is let them go. Um, and, and then we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4, uh, which is what they do afterwards. So this is where we find ourselves today. Um, when Jesus builds his church today, it's, we're talking about bold faith. Everybody say bold faith. Bold faith. If you're in the comments, put that, or if you're online, put that in the comments. And um, today we're going to learn about God calling us to be bold in our faith, learning about what that word means, being uh, confident in who we are being open and about who we are. Um, and I saw uh, this week, I was, this past week, I was at a youth camp and uh, we've uh, had lots of students, around 250, 275 students come to that campground. And uh, we had a great time. Um, and my responsibility for the week was the dean of men. And if you don't know what that phrase means, basically that means I'm over 125 teenage boys and their conduct, okay? 
Um, so if you can imagine 125 teenage boys of all uh, different uh, ages, um, you know, from sixth grade on the way up to 12th grade and their conduct, just imagine. And it's, uh, it, it can be quite interesting. But uh, uh, they were pretty good for the most part. Um, and uh, I was walking uh, from the cafeteria to their chapel. Uh, I had to go over there. And there's a sidewalk there. There's this gaga pit, which a lot of students play, this game. And I saw one of these kids who, who was out. He was standing, uh, who had been eliminated from the game, was standing outside of it. And he's dressed real nice, very confidently. And uh, his name is God Love. And I loved it because it literally is G-O-D-L-O-V-E. Uh, that's literally how you spell it. His name was God Love. And I said, God Love, how you doing, man? He said, I'm doing good. He said, hey. <laughs> he asked me a question. He goes, hey. Do you want to know how to get a girl? And I said, <laughs> I said, what? I said, excuse me? He said, do you want to know how to get a girl? And I was like, well, you probably have to, you need to pray about it, right? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I gotta, you got to pray about it. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, <laughs> then, he goes, then he goes on to say, there's two things. This is how you get a girl. I'm like, okay, tell me. He's like, number one, I've learned, put on deodorant. And I'm like, that's true, God love. That's a good idea. You should put on deodorant. And I said, what's the second thing? He's like, the second thing is take a shower. And I said, oh, yes, you've, I hope you've learned that this week. Praise the Lord. And whatever church you're from, I'm sure your youth pastor will thank you. But, uh, but God love, I mean, that was, that was incredible words of wisdom. Uh, I hope he gained a little bit more that week, maybe spiritually speaking. No, but it was really funny, very, very interesting. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit deeper about boldness and confidence. Is that okay? We're going to go a little deeper than that, wearing deodorant and taking showers. Amen? Um, and so as we've uh, looked at this, we're going to be talking about what the church prays for in this scripture, verses 23 through 21, or for through, 23 through 31, excuse me. Um, and we're going to see how they respond to uh, threats, you know, not to speak into, not to speak about the name of Jesus, not to, not to preach about him, not to teach about him, all these different things. Um, and so we're going to learn about three different principles today. The first one is called pray together. Everybody say pray together. If you're watching online, make sure you put that in the comments for us. Verse 23 through the first part of 24 says this, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they had heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Everybody say, together. Together. This is what's so critical and what is the, the, Acts, the writer of Acts, Luke, is talking about is that they were all together. So they've heard the threats from the religious leaders. They know the consequences, what will happen. Um, but they get together together. Um, you, would, you could say that this is part of the church. There's probably not everybody uh, there, but there's a good portion of people that are there who are together, and Peter and John are reporting to them, probably reporting to them about the miracle, obviously, that had taken place, a crippled man who is now walking. It was an undeniable miracle. And then we see uh, you know, just probably some of the fear and the stress that probably came along with um, the threats of potentially, you know, because they've seen what happened to Jesus. They're very well aware. And so the same people who had put Jesus on the cross are now threatening them. How many know you might have a little fear stir inside of you? Because you know exactly what that means. And so I'm sure they're talking to them about some of the fears, some of the things that they were experiencing. Uh, but they're also celebrating the fact of what Jesus has done. So all of this is happening, and they're doing it 
together. And I think this is so critical because nothing's more dangerous to Satan than a church who's united in prayer. When a church makes prayer as the priority, then we will begin to see what they are praying for, signs, miracles, and wonders. These are so critical when it comes to building his church and destroying the kingdom of Satan, what he's trying to do. Nothing scares Satan more than when a church comes together and unites in prayer, when they're together. We'll talk about personal prayer, but we're also going to talk about the importance of being together and praying when we're together. R.A. Torrey is a, uh, if you don't know who that is, many of you might know D.L. Moody uh, from, you know, the early 1900s. Um, R.A. Torrey and D.L. Moody were great friends, traveled together at times, um, and they would go to different places around the world together, sometimes different places, and they would go to speak uh, at these places where there's experiencing revivals, where people by the hundreds, even thousands, are getting saved in these, in these countries, in these cities, even in these small towns where people are coming to know Jesus at an incredible rate. And R.A. Torrey had been all these different places. He wrote a book on prayer, and this is what he says in his book. He says, I've seen great revivals without great preaching. I've seen great revivals without great events, but I've never seen a great revival take place where prayer was absent. What he is saying is, what he discovered is prayer is essential to the church. Prayer is not an option. It is the only choice that you and I have is that we have to be people of prayer. We have to be people of prayer. He spoke of another occasion where he was he was going to speak at this place, and you know, there are times where as a public speaker, even as a pastor, maybe you've experienced this, given a presentation, that you've given some probably good presentations and such, but you've also had your not top five, where it's like, these aren't my best ones, and so he remembers not giving one of those good ones, and it was at this place in this community, and after he said amen, it, hundreds, hundreds of people are coming to know Jesus, coming to the altars, crying out to God, giving their life to Jesus, and hundreds of them. And he was just, he was just couldn't believe it. He was like, how is this happening? Until a few days later, he's talking with uh, one of the ladies, and she said, yes, I heard you were coming. So I went home to another family member who was sick in bed, could not come to that service. And so when she found out you were coming, she decided to stay up all night and fast and pray for you. And R.A. Torrey realized in that moment the power of prayer. Prayer was something that was essential to that many people coming to know Jesus. Somebody took it seriously enough, even though they couldn't be there presently, be present at the service, but they could do prayer. They could still pray. And it was miraculous, to say the least. Can I just say this? The church, the leadership, the kids workers, the youth workers, the young adult workers, small group leaders, they need the prayers of the church. Because we are walking in places and speaking into people's lives and we don't know what may be going on in any particular situations, all the facts, all the details. But can I say to you, the church needs your prayers, especially the leadership. We need your prayers because this is what is crucial to building the kingdom of God. But there's also great importance to not only, like I said, praying personally over things, but to praying together. So as a church, we, we can do this in our small groups. We do this on Wednesday nights. We pray together. And we realize this. We have special times where we do pray. 
over certain things in certain parts of the season, we understand this, that there are other options out there. And can I just say to you, prayer is not a meaningless exercise that the church is doing. Prayer is powerful and effective. Because a prayerless life will lead to a powerless life. A church who does not pray will be a church that is ineffective. Not just one person, not just a small group of people, but collectively, as a group, all are called to pray. And not just personally, but together. This is so critical to our faith in Jesus Christ and what Jesus taught us to do. And there's also times where we can pray together, where Jesus, if, you're, if you follow Luke chapter 11 in that particular scripture, these disciples have seen Jesus do some incredible things. They've seen the lame walk. They've seen people healed. They've seen the demon-possessed delivered, people delivered from that. They've seen things that they cannot describe. Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. They have seen incredible miracles. These disciples come to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, didn't ask Jesus how to be the most effective leader. Didn't ask Jesus what's, what's the event that's going to get people to show up. They didn't ask how to build their social media followings. They didn't ask any of those things, how to get the pay raise. They didn't ask that. They asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Because we noticed a common theme with you. Whenever great things happen, you've prayed. Every time you come from wherever it is you were, and we go about doing our thing, miracles taking place, we noticed you were praying before this happens. They understood. Can I just say to you that even Jesus' response to that wasn't just a one-moment teaching. It was a lifelong learning. You are constantly learning about prayer. You and I are constantly learning how to study and read God's Word and apply it correctly. This is so critical. This is not just one time you learn about prayer and say, oh, yeah, I know about prayer. No, 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 no. You are a lifelong learner when it comes to understanding prayer. Because it's so critical that you and I pray, but it's also to understand the heart of God. Why are we praying over this? What's the, why is God talking about this in his word? What, what's this, why is it so essential? Why did the disciples come asking Jesus teach us? They wanted to learn about what it's like to pray together. And to also understand this, that in these moments of prayer, when you pray together, you are, are free to share your stress, your anxieties, your victories, your fears, the things that are going well, the things that are not going so well. But it's so critical when you and I pray together, it, it brings encouragement to those moments, to those situations we're walking through. So prayer is not just some meaningless exercise. Prayer is powerful. It is effective. And so I encourage you as a church to make it a priority to be a part of this house and to be a part of a team of people, even a Wednesday night small group, something where you are praying together with the church. Because Jesus has called us to be a people of prayer. He's called us to do that. That's just, it's a common theme in Acts. You look at it in Acts. It's all over the place. This is just Acts chapter 4. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in the very beginning of the book of Acts, it says they were together in prayer. Peter then stands up, declares the word of God. Thousands of people come to know Jesus in that moment. You see it even here. This crippled man is 
is crippled. He can't walk. But we know this. Peter and John were people of prayer. And they don't just pray personally. They prayed together as a group of people. And they saw another miracle take place. And then what happens is more people come to know Jesus. It's essential. It's not just some small thing. It is the thing that the church must be good at. They must be strong in. Otherwise, we're going to raise up a bunch of stagnant disciples who don't want to do anything. And is it really a disciple if we're just going about doing nothing and not making them like we're called to do? We're called to make them. Disciples multiply themselves. They multiply who they are. And so you and I are called to be that. So it's important to be a person of prayer. This isn't a a declaration for uh, the fact that some people may be thinking, you just want to raise up your attendance. No, 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 no. Jesus called me to make disciples. He's called me to be a person of prayer. And he calls you to be a person of prayer. Because if we are going to be a church that walks in power, then we have to pray. And there's a common theme taking place in this book of Acts. Why are thousands of people coming to know Jesus? It's because the church as a whole understood. Yes, we can pray by ourselves, but I also need to participate with the community. I need to participate. When I do, things happen. Things will happen. We'll see what happens after this even. When you pray, you should pray together as a family. Find ways to pray together for your kids or whoever. You know, there, we pray for our kids every night, and there are days, there are moments where I don't feel like doing it. I just feel like putting them in bed and saying, good night, go to sleep, all that good stuff, right? You just want to be done. And we have done this so much. We have done a prayer over them so much that even in those moments where I just want to close the door and say, good night, my son will always say, but daddy, we haven't prayed yet. And so it's like, okay. It's like sometimes it's good, right? That's the, that's the goodness of being together. That's the goodness of having somebody else there. It says there are going to be days and moments where you don't feel like it. There's going to be days and moments where you just don't feel like it. So we pray together. When it comes to prayer time alone with God, I encourage you to find some, if you, you know, let's get practical here. Can I be practical? Okay. Can I be honest? All right. I'm a pastor, but I'm human. Okay. I'm just preparing you. Okay. All right. So, reading and studying God's Word, I can do that forever and ever and ever. Prayer, I've got to be careful, because otherwise I could take a nap. I'm just being real. So I've learned this. I've learned that I've got to be more disciplined in that particular area of my life. Just because I'm not strong in one particular discipline does not give me the right to say I don't need it. Look at a baseball player. He can hit, a, he can hit 30 home runs, but he can also strike out a ton right? So what does that player have to do? He can't just ignore the fact that he's striking out all the time. He's got to make contact. How many understand that? He's got to put the ball in play. He could be a great hitter. He could be the best hitter. But how many know there's another part of the job where you got to field, you got to catch a ball, you got to be able to get a grounder and throw it to a base, right? Just because he can't do one doesn't mean he can slack off and not work at it, right? You and I are called to work at it. So this, for this particular individual like myself, I've got to work at it. So what do I have to do? I have to focus more on that. So what do I have to do? I have to, I have to pay attention. I've talked with people. I've read books on it, you know, on prayer. What does that look like in my life? And this is what I do. I have prayers that I write out and I recite all the time. 
Maybe thinking, well, doesn't that just get repetitive? I mean, do you sing worship songs where there's lyrics on the screen? Did you write that or did somebody else write that? Somebody else wrote that. But how many know it's still just as powerful and effective to you? So the prayers you write out and recite over and over and over doesn't make it less powerful. No, it's still powerful because of who you're talking to. You're not just talking to yourself. You're not just reciting things just to recite. No, you're praying to Jesus. Some of the other things I do, I love to do, is scripture. I love to declare scripture over my life where I am having a particular passage of scripture that I'll memorize and I'll pray that over myself. I I declare that over myself. There are certain other things I do. I will thank God for things because I can't get away from this heart of thankfulness and this heart of gratitude. I've got to be a person of thankfulness and gratitude. And so it helps me when I write it out on my phone to say, name 10 things right now. And so then I'll just begin to list them. I'll begin to listen because I want to remind myself of the goodness of God and I want to also keep my eye open for what God is doing throughout my week. It reminds me that God is good all the time. And I can remind myself of that and I will see his hand at work in my life and in other people's lives. There's, there's, there's several other things I do, but what I do notice is this, is that that has to be more structured and disciplined in my life. Otherwise, I probably won't do it. So what are some areas of your life where you've got to be more disciplined at because maybe it's not a natural thing for you to do? Reading and studying God's Word, I could do that all day, every day, and I, could, I don't really need a whole lot of structure because I just dive in and I can go deep and I can be there for a really long time if I want to. But prayer, I have to be a little bit more focused. I've got to be a little bit more strategic. And one of the most favorite things I like to do now is to just, before I even get to my agenda with God and say, God, is there something on my agenda today that is something that you want me to pray about today? That maybe, maybe I forgot something, God. Is there something that I'm missing? Is there something I'm missing today? Is there something I forgot about? Is there something I don't see right now? So before I get to my agenda, God, I want to first allow you to speak. And a lot of times God will bring something to my heart. He'll bring something to my mind. He'll bring up an individual or he'll bring up a situation. Sometimes it's an ongoing thing. Sometimes it's stuff that has happened years ago and a person that I've been praying about for a long time and maybe I've neglected the prayer time for that individual and God is reminding me again, don't give up. Don't give up on that person. Pray again. And so it is so critical that you and I do this. And there are going to be some other things that come from this that we'll, we'll figure out and see. But the second part of this that we see them consistently do, being bold, is that they affirm God's sovereignty. Everybody say sovereignty. It's a big word. It's a fun word. But it has a purpose. This is what their prayer says. So they've heard their threats. It says this, Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod, Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This is what I noticed, is that there is a God's plan and then there is a enemy's plan. How many of you noticed that? We see that clearly in here where there was a plan of the enemy. And do you notice that everyone was against Jesus in that moment of where he's 
going to be on a trial. He's going to be crucified, and then he resurrects from the dead. Do we see Herod and Pontius Pilate? Remember in one of the Gospels it says they used to be enemies, but for this moment they became friends. Do you see the Jewish people of Israel? Are they against Jesus? Do you see now the Gentiles? I mean, the Jews and Gentiles don't get along, and now all of a sudden they're getting along about this, about Jesus, about crucifying him. The point is, all the world was against Jesus. All the world. And this is why the, they say this is, he is sovereign, because it's supreme commander, master in other words. Because Satan had developed really a masterful plan. Get everybody against Jesus. Work out every detail to get against Jesus. But Satan eventually ran into the master. Satan, you had a masterful plan, but then you ran into God, the sovereign Lord, the master. And it crushed his plan. What he thought was, was a victory was actually accomplishing the word of God. Satan can have a masterful plan against your family, against your job, and against you personally. But you declare the sovereign Lord, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth and everything in it. That is what they did. They decided to say, you know what? We see the problem, but we're also going to affirm God's sovereignty. We're going to affirm the fact that he is the creator of everything. He is the true master. And Satan is just a fraud. He likes to pin everything against you, to think everything's going against you. But what they did in that moment is said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to tell God how big my problem is. I'm telling the problem how big my God is. It's the exact opposite. When I look at this problem, when I face this issue, when I need wisdom, when I don't know what to do with my business, when I'm trying to figure out how to get through with my, fam with my family who, who needs Jesus, I'm not going to tell God how big the issue is. I'm going to affirm who he is. And because it's a reminder to me that he is the creator of everything, that he had the whole world against Jesus, and he still broke through the enemy's plan. He still had victory over it. There is nothing that our God not, cannot do. And so when we look at this, as they affirm God's plan, what do they do as a result? They declared scripture. So they didn't have version Bible app out in that moment and start looking through, putting in the search box, God's sovereignty, you know, all these different things. They didn't have a biblical Bible like this in hand. What did they do? They memorized it. They memorize it. Look, they, they, it says the scripture passage. Why do the nations rage and the people's pawn in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They declared something they memorized. Memorization of scripture is not, again, a meaningless exercise. It is a spiritual discipline you and I need to do. Because there's going to be a moment where Satan's going to catch you off guard. It's not, it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. Tragedy strikes, problems come, businesses start to crumble, financially you're struggling. All of a sudden, Satan is working on something. He's working on a plan to get you to quit, to get you to stop, because he wants you to be distracted from building the kingdom of God. He wants you to be distracted from building his church. And so what he'll do is he'll throw problem after problem after problem after problem. And what you and I need to have in our heart, this is what the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. The psalmist understood if I hide God's word in my heart, that is something I can declare in the moment that it comes when I least expect it. 
You and I study scripture, but we also need to hide it in our heart. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes three different times with three different types of temptations at Jesus. And what does Jesus do all three times? Declare scripture. Jesus was prepared. And what you and I need to do is be prepared for when he does come. Because he is smart, he is wise, he knows when you're weak, and he's waiting for an opportunity. The Bible says he's, he's prowling around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion because we have Jesus who is a lion of Judah. He is acting like he's a lion, but he's really not. And so he's looking to devour. And you and I have got to be prepared. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy. You don't have to walk around in fear. You don't have to walk around in stress. You don't have to walk around with this paranoia of when the enemy is going to attack you. You don't have to walk around in that. You just need to know when it does happen, I have scripture. That's the first thought that comes to my mind. Apostle Paul says this, I take every thought captive and I make it obedient to Christ. Every single thought. Thought comes, bam, scripture. That is what you and I are building in our minds and our hearts. So I encourage you to make it a habit, a discipline. This is what I like to do. I like to memorize scripture and I like to declare those over my life. And there's many times where I'll take it and I'll, I'll quote it to myself all week and I'll keep quoting it, keep quoting it, keep quoting it, keep quoting it. And a lot of times I'm starting to understand the context a lot better because I realize that I can use scripture and I can use that out of context. That's what Satan did in Matthew chapter four. He knew the word of God. He quoted it right at Jesus and Jesus said, you quoted it out of context. He fired, back right some, he fired back some other scripture at Satan because Satan took it out of context. And so he's, he quote, Jesus quotes it back at him. So when I memorize it, I'm starting to learn the appropriate way to apply it to my life. So when I see that the Satan is trying to do something, I know what God's word says, no weapon formed against me will prosper. When I am about building his church, when I'm about that, nothing Satan does will be able to prosper. Because even if the whole world is against me, Paul says in the book of Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? When you're about that, about God's business, he will come through. He will give you victory in your life. And Satan will throw everything at you. But it's so critical. This is what they came to understand is memorizing scripture. So I will take scripture and I will memorize it. Because what I'm trying to do is not be perfect. Because if you try to be perfect, you're setting yourself up for failure. And as soon as you fail, you're done. And you go into a spiral where you just keep failing over and over and over. What you're looking for is consistency. God will supply you with the rest. What you're wanting saying, God, I want to be consistent. When I have negativity coming across my mind, when I have issues, when I have stress, when that fear comes again, when that pain comes again, and I feel like that was a word for somebody when I was worshiping the Lord. Is somebody in here needs to release pain? You need to get rid of it because the pain is destroying you. And the way to release pain is forgiveness. You've got to forgive. You've got to let go of the pain. In order for you to, to experience healing, Satan is trying to tempt you to say, if you hold on to it, it'll make you feel better. When God is telling you, no, 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 no. When you forgive, it releases and then I can begin to heal you. You've got to release pain. You can't hold on. If you hold on, it will destroy you. And I understand it could be some severe circumstances and situations. I, 
I, I, I understand. I can't put myself in your shoes. I'm not saying what is happening to you is, is, is you know, trying to downplay that in any way, shape, or form. I would never do that. But I will tell you this. No matter how painful it gets, just know that you have somebody who's walked through so much already for you and for everybody. And what you and I are called to do is to release, to let it. Not to say that you trust that individual anymore. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is don't let it rule your heart because it's controlling the decisions you're making. And that's the issue is it's controlling you. And God is wanting to set you free. This is what the word of God does. It helps us push past feelings, to push past things that we are facing in our life. So when we take moments to consistently memorize scripture, we begin to build what I would call a library of God's word in our brain, in our hearts, so that as situations arise, because they are coming, I'm ready to respond with the word of God. And there's a third principle that comes out of this is to pray to speak the word of God boldly. Everybody say boldly. Here's what it says, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal. Perform signs. Perform wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place they were meeting at was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Here's what I noticed is that they glanced at the problem and gave more attention to who God is. They glanced at their problem. Some of us are facing some problems and you're giving it way too much attention. It's not saying that it's not a problem. You have a problem in your family, you have a problem at work, you have a problem wherever, but you're giving it way too much attention and the enemy would love nothing more for you to pay more attention to that than to pay attention to who God is and what he's trying to do in you. He would love nothing more. So I'm here to tell you, look at the example in this church of Acts and look at what they're doing. Look at the example that the Bible has laid out for us is that they only took, gave it a glance and they affirmed who God is, but they also prayed for God to speak boldly. This is the crucial thing when it comes to even praying together is that God will give words to people because they did not pray for protection from the threats. How many, how many see that? Nothing wrong with praying for protection. Nothing wrong with that. However, when we are together, praying together as a church, there is a word from the Lord that will come out and a theme will be developed in that moment because God has a specific word for that specific moment for that specific church. This is why it's so critical is that you and I participate in this so that when that word comes, we understand the theme. We understand where God is headed and where he's taking us as a church. For them, this was a moment for boldness. Boldness to do what? Speak the word of God. I've worked in neighborhoods here in this very county, this very county, where I've asked a group of 40 kids, how many of you know who John the Baptist is in the Bible? Not one hand. I then went even a step further. I said, how many of you know who Jesus is? Didn't say the Bible, just said, do you know the name of Jesus? Four out of, it was like three out of 40. I mean, that's a pretty bad grade if you would get that on a test. I'm just saying the word of God needs to be spoken into people. It needs to be spoken. 
we are raising up a generation who has no clue. You may have been raised in church, but there's only three out of 40 in a neighborhood not too far from here who don't go to church, who've never been raised in church, who've never even heard the Bible, who have no clue. I'm trying to picture in my brain that kind of a generation. And it's scary because they don't know because no one's telling them. No one's even telling them about the name of Jesus. They just think that's my family member or cousin or something. We've got to be strong in this with boldness and say, God, I want to speak your word boldly so that when I am with somebody and I'm talking to them, I may not even know who they are and I'm just having a conversation. They start bringing stuff up to me. My first thought I want to have is a word from God for them. That's what I want to have. I want to have a word from God to say something to an individual because I know I could say, you know, I can have a conversation for 10 minutes, but it only takes God one word for something to happen. He spoke the world into existence. He doesn't need a whole lot of time. He just needs people who are willing to make themselves available. Say, Lord, I am available to speak your word to people who desperately need to hear from you. Because you love me and you love them and I want them to connect with you. I just want them to know that there is a God in heaven who loves them. And this is what we see the church doing. They prayed for boldness, which means this. This is what it means. It means confidence and openness. Confidence, openness. Some of us can speak it confidently, but are you speaking it openly? There's a difference when you're open. It's like, I'm just going to speak it and not be afraid, right? Because a lot of times we'll second guess ourselves. And here's the good news. You and I are not responsible for the results. Guess who is? God. Guess all he's called, what he's called you to do is plant seeds and water it. Plant seeds, water it. So when I speak the word of God, I'm planting a seed. Or I could be speaking the word of God and I'm watering it. God is the one who brings the transformation. So I allow God to do his job. I just got to do my part. It takes the pressure right off of you to walk away from that situation and thinking, well, they didn't give their life to Jesus. Listen, you're not responsible for the life transformation. That's Jesus. Some of us have hurt ourselves witnessing because we keep not seeing the results we want. And Jesus has never asked you to change their life. That's his job. Your job is to plant the seed. Your job is to water that seed. And some of us need to start speaking back to our family again because we planted a seed and we're wondering why they're not changing and so we've given up. No, you need to get back to watering that seed. Water it continuously. Keep going after it because you have a master who loves you and who loves that individual. And when you make it about the father's business, building his church, you'll see what happens at the end of this passage is lives, their lives are changed and God does something different. He shakes things up. He sh- it says the building that they were in, the place they were in, gathered together was shaken. So when they prayed for boldness, what did God give them? He gave them an ingredient they needed. It was called a filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have the band come. The filling of the Holy Spirit. They were on a mission together to reach people. They made that the common theme. Saying, you know what, we're going to preach the word of God boldly. And what happens? It says signs and wonders and miracles follow. It says after they prayed. It wasn't during, did you see that? During, not during the prayer. After the result, God gave them an ingredient. They prayed for boldness, God gives them the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? 
They pray for boldness. God gives. So guess what? Where does boldness come from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming to give you boldness. He's coming to fill you. It's not an event where it just happens one time because these people have experienced the day of Pentecost. They've experienced fresh feelings of the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, when fear could have gripped their hearts, when they could have turned and ran, when they could have scattered and dispersed and saying, this is too dangerous to do this anymore. They got together. They shared their concerns. They shared their fears, but they also shared their victories. They shared God's sovereignty. God, creator of the universe, the Lord over everything and everything in it, the one who had everything and everyone against him. Why do the nations rage and people plots are made in vain? Because Jesus held the victory in his hand after the whole world went against him. That is what they built their faith on. Not the problem, but who God is. Because he's good, and he's always good. They received the Holy Spirit, a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. It was shaken, shaken together. Because why? Because God was wanting to do something new that they had not experienced. Did I, can I tell you? You can experience a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit, but God wants to fill you over and over and over again. And every time that happens, it's going to be like it's the very first time again. That's what God does. Why does he do that? Because he's a creator. He takes what's nothing and makes it into something. He's the only one who can do that. He can develop things in us that no one else can do. He is willing and always able to do new things all the time. That is just who he is. That's in his character. He is a creator. That's what creators do. This is why heaven's going to be exciting because you and I are going to experience new things all the time because that's who God is. We're going to be in the presence of God forever and ever, never absent ever again, never feeling that, having that feeling that he's absent ever again, and understanding this, that he's still doing new things all the time. And that is what he's wanting to do today. Let me ask you this question. What new thing is God wanting to do in you? Is it a new discipline, a new focus, a new desire for their lost people? Or is it salvation? where you need to experience this faith in Jesus Christ and you've got to declare it. It says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. This is what the Church of Acts made their priority. They said, you know what? There's a lot of things we could focus on, but we're going to be about the Father's business because he said, go and make disciples. Jesus did not tell me to raise up a bunch of people to just attend a church. Jesus said to build his church. He said to make disciples, make them. And I love the fact because when I make a disciple, it's life by life. So no matter if I speak to hundreds or if you just talk to one individual, I am still called to the same mission you are called to. And that is building it life by life. That is how the disciples are made. Life by life. Jesus said, if I gain the whole world and yet you can forfeit your very soul. So I'm going to be about the mission of building it life by life. That's what, my li- that's what I want to make my life about. That's how Jesus is going to measure me. That's how Jesus is going to measure you. Did you build disciples? Did you make them life by life? And if we're not, then what needs to shift? And I can honestly tell you this. Can I do that from a stage? Yes, but it is more beneficial when I just do it one-on-one. It is more beneficial and it goes much deeper 
when it's just one-on-one. This is why I love. It doesn't matter if you have influence over, over 10,000 people or if you have influence over one. That person, both of them, are still building his church life by life. It doesn't matter. It's still life by life. Do you see that everybody has a role to play in this? This is what's amazing. This is why Jesus is so loving and gracious. And this is why there were people willing to follow him because they were like, it doesn't matter what my influence looks like in this life. I get to be a part of it, life by life, no matter what. No matter if I have a lot of money or not a lot of money, I can still build this church life by life. He calls everybody into that. And that is how I measure my life. Say, Lord, am I, am I making those disciples? If I'm not, what needs to shift in me to allow space for that to happen? Because a lot of times it's not more time I need in a day. It's what am I doing that is distracting me from the mission? It's not more time. It's what distractions, what are things I'm choosing to do? Not something I'm obligated to do, what I'm choosing to do that's taking up that time. And maybe I need to cut some things away so that I can be about the Father's business because that's the way he's going to measure my life. This is the crucial part you and I get to be, be a part of. It's one of the most amazing experiences to see lives change, to see them carry it out as a follower of Jesus and to build his church. It's truly, it encourages my soul when I see people do that and respond to it over and over and over again. It encourages me and I always just think of it and I say, this is the best thing that I could ever do. This is the best thing you will ever do in your life. I can promise you that. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to have the prayer teams make their way forward. If you're here this morning and you would like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we would love for you to do that. I would ask you to be brave, to be bold, to make your way up to these people that are coming up here to pray over individuals. They want to lead you in that moment. If you're here today and you need a new discipline that needs to be established, maybe it's a few that I mentioned to say, Lord, help me in these areas. I need to be more disciplined. I need to be more focused because I'm lacking it. I'm slacking off in it. That's okay. God will help you and he will build that in your life better. If you're here this morning and you, if this is my prayer for myself, I'll be asking God to say, God, I want to be more bold speaking the word of God. I want to be more bold. I want to be confident, not arrogant, confident and open about it. That's my prayer for myself today. And if you want that over your life, I encourage you just to say, Lord, I want to speak the word of God boldly. I don't know what that looks like. All I know is the Holy Spirit desires to fill you and he will shake some things up in your life so that you can go about the Father's business. And so as we sing this song today, if you want to come forward for prayer, I encourage you to do that. If you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit today, I encourage you to lift your hands like myself and just say, Lord, I want you to fill me. I want to be bold. I want to be more bold than I was last week. I want to be open about who you are and to not live in fear, but to live in victory. So let's sing this together as the worship team leads us. If you want prayer, come forward and let's lift our hands and worship him. Amen. The worship team is going to continue to play. If you would like to receive prayer, please don't rush out of here. If you need prayer today, feel free to come forward. We will definitely pray for you this morning. But I just want to pray as a, a prayer of dismissal and a prayer of blessing over you for those who do need to go today and uh, to pray for boldness for you, to 
pray for boldness to speak the word of God to people because they need it more than they realize. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, for your sovereignty. Lord, we thank you that you are the true master over all of the earth. You are the creator of the heavens and of the earth and everything in it. God, we only have to take a glance at our problems and, Lord, focus more of our attention on you because you care about us. You care about what we're walking through. Lord, I pray for your church today. God, for the disciplines in our life, spiritual disciplines to be developed, Lord, in the areas that we may be lacking in. Lord, I pray for every person in this church to have a fresh feeling of your Holy Spirit today, to speak the word of God boldly. Lord, that when we encounter people, Lord, that there will be words from your, your Bible that will come to our heart, to our mind, that we can speak to those people, Lord, and to plant and to water those seeds, God, that you have called us to do because you're in charge of the transformation. Lord, I pray that this church, this church will be a church of prayer, but also a church that speaks the word of God boldly to those around us. Lord, we thank you, we love you. We can't wait to see how you build your church. Lord, we commit ourselves to building your church life by life. Lord, that is our mission. That is what you've called us to. So help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to, to live like this. We love you. We thank you. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.